Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversation with Calvin, We the Species, and there are interviews and interviews. This is a very special interview for me with Olivia North Crotty because we've been um, kind of hanging out uh, uh, together uh, via Zoom uh, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, Olivia and I have had a mentor mentee relationship set up by Rutgers University. Uh, because she does uh, creative writing, and, and I'm a writer, and she's into actually a, a ton of things, writing, <laughs> music, art, uh, short stories, uh, 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 composing, uh, and and uh, Stacy uh, at RTCM uh, had asked and got us together, and and you know, we kind of keep her abreast of things. But she thought it would be, she thought it would be a great mentor mentee thing. So Olivia and I have been chatting uh uh for a long time you know yeah. not quite a year but we've been chatting for a long time and yeah. uh we chat even when olivia was in ireland uh a few months ago uh for second semester um it's uh uh it, it's it's a great you know mentoring is a, is a wonderful thing uh uh because i can jump in and share with things and, and actually I even helped Olivia, you know, with an internship, which made me feel really great. Uh, but we, we share the commonality of the written word uh, and, and the stuff I'm learning. I'm like a living lab. We just talked about it. Well, she knows with my publishing, oh, I got to do a commercial. I don't mind doing a commercial. Here's the, the, I never do commercials, but this is my finished, finished, finished novel. There's a tortoise, in my hair, a journey to spirit. It's a novel. Uh, it, it's just actually the proof. It's actually ready to be published. All somebody has to do is press a button. Uh, it, it's a, a pretty intense. It's not light. It's pretty intense. It's it's an auto fiction, which means it's kind of a memoir of the lead character. There are some resemblances, uh, but I've been sharing my journey with this with Olivia to kind of prep her in primer. So. Uh, 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 and again, I love uh, interviewing and interacting with Gen Zs uh, uh, for the palliative effect because it makes me feel younger. <laughs> uh, and, and the fact that I can communicate uh, with Gen Zs on their level, uh, on our level, I, I think is a great thing. So without further ado, my uh, uh, opening monologue is done and best would be for Olivia to do a little bio background, some of the things she's studying at Rutgers, and then we're going to jump into some really interesting stuff, including Mr. Gilgamesh, sir, uh, a short story that's now on Amazon. We'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. Take it away, Olivia. Hello, um, my name's Olivia. I am a uh, major at, sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Don't worry. Um, I'm an English major at Rutgers. Um, I'm also a creative writing minor. I do a bunch of stuff, as Calvin mentioned, I do writing, I do art, mainly painting and sketching, and I also do some songwriting and some music production. Um, the stuff, like the, the three things that have been published from that three songs, um, I've done with my friend Nodan, which has a period at the end of it. Um, and he's, he's a very talented guy, and together we've been able to collaborate and actually write music and make it sound professional which has been pretty amazing um and we've been able to put it out in the world so yeah everything that's happening right now in my life is is it's just trying to be setting the the groundwork for future even bigger and better kinds of things 
um so that's 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 what i've been preoccupying myself with as of late <laughs> okay um so now we're going to go down uh you know the old yellow brick road from the wizard mm -hmm. of oz we're going to go down a little bit of a serious road because you've got some serious aspects to you um as a writer and an artist uh and you know you've been doing this stuff even though you're young you've been doing this stuff for a while do you think you have a responsibility mm -hmm. to share? Um, I yeah, I, I think there's a responsibility to I guess to to be the best version of yourself in what you create um to the public. The best version of yourself doesn't have to mean it doesn't have to mean that you're the most pristine version or the cleanest or the most polished. Um, but present yourself to your audiences in a way that's that you, one you're comfortable with, because I think as of nowadays, it's especially encouraged for entertainers and creators to share all of the, themselves for um, realism and to be authentic. Um, but you do need a level of space between yourself and your audience especially online you know there's a lot of issues with like parasocial relationships where your audience thinks that they know you very intimately when they do not um because you even though you may have shared really intimate details about yourself um with your audience that's still a fraction of the life you've lived um so i think there's an aspect to that where where you need to show a real version of yourself and you have a responsibility to yourself and some kind of responsibility to your audience to to be honest but in but only to a certain degree where you're actually comfortable um and you're not presenting something necessarily false to your audience but like as artists a part of our art is to be personable um, and you're always you're always giving a little bit of yourself in whatever it is you're creating and you're sharing. Um, so that that is what is genuine about being an artist or an entertainer of some kind. Um, but then I think there's another aspect, like as a writer, it's um, you know it's it's considering how how to be respectful to different groups. Um, you know, like I'm going to write characters who have not shared necessarily the experiences that I've personally had. Um, or else I might as well just write memoirs, um, which maybe I'll do one day, but I write fiction. Um, so I'm going to create characters who have had experiences that I have never had and will never had, have had. Um, and I have then a responsibility to make sure whoever the characters are, I'm respectful and I'm honest in their portrayal. Um, and that sometimes it requires a lot of grueling research. Um, if I had the money to hire like a, a content editor, somebody to look at my work and say, hey, be careful with this, or I would change this aspect of it, or you need to figure out more about this um, because you do not want to be ignorant, even if um, accidentally to any particular group or, or individual whose experiences you're trying to reflect and take for your own. Um, which can also bring up like ethical questions 
um, that you could go into about like theoretically are you becoming somebody else or your character somebody else because you're taking from other experiences that are not yours do they make them your own or were they ever your own to begin with like there there's all these kinds of questions you can ask yourself and I think can be useful to ask yourself to figure out what your line is and in, in how you want to do things um but yeah so I, I think the the line you draw between yourself and your audience and how you present yourself to them in, um, includes a lot of responsibility and then the question of how do you be respectful to people who may not even be in your audience but who are your, you are still representing to a group of people even though you yourself are not that person that character or that's not your experience that you're giving your characters mm -hmm. okay yeah. uh you're so young <laughs> uh you are you're so young uh when did you develop this passion for writing um i was kind of i felt very alone in school um like in elementary school and middle school and friendships were kind of hard to come by for a, a bunch of different reasons. It was a very small town that I went to school in. Um, so it meant everybody knew everybody. And, um, you know, I, it didn't seem like there, there were not many options for friends um, from the start because I also had a very small amount of girls to interact with. And, you know, when you're of that age, you know, boys don't like interacting with girls and girls don't like interacting because cooties and all that, all that kind of crap. Uh, so, you know, so there's only eight girls in my class in elementary school. And so it was very, very clicky. And I could never seem to at least have a lot of pleasant interactions with a lot of them. I felt very ostracized quietly, you know, a lot of the time. And I didn't have a lot of, I mean, I had, I've, I've had some fantastic teachers but there's always been some teachers in elementary and middle school who just weren't interested in trying to encourage me to engage with these other girls or encourage these girls to engage with me. Um, so I kind of turned to myself and I kind of just for better or for worse learned to entertain myself. Um, and uh, I, because of just different social relationships I did have with some friends from an early age who had their own problems even when they were very young so turning to myself in my own imagination as a kid didn't just become a way of entertaining myself it also kind of became a healthy coping coping mechanism because i took the things that i felt and that i was experiencing that i couldn't exactly describe to to adults or even to myself because when you're like five, six, seven, eight, even like 10 or 11, it's really hard for, for you to explain to someone what's going on um, in, in a way that, you know, like a therapist should probably explain to the parents because they see the kid and they'll help, they'll help the kid explain what's going on in their lives to the adults. But when it's just you, you don't really know what's going on quite yet. And it's, it's weird. And you're, you're not sure what language to use because you don't have that language yet. So writing and creating fictional characters. And of course, when you're starting off writing young, everybody has like their self insert character, where it's just you when you're on this amazing adventure with all your favorite other characters from other, 
I don't know, other, other worlds that authors have created or artists, you know, like I, I really got into Marvel and um, I was sitting bored in the library one day and my friend's brother was reading a Marvel encyclopedia for kids. And I picked it up one day because he loved that encyclopedia. So I picked it up because I was curious and I just read through the different um, like Avengers origin stories. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And um, I thought it was the most original kid to create a story about a bunch of really cool teenagers <laughs> going out into the world and, I don't know, having battles and with powers. And they were the kids of the Avengers because I liked the Avengers, but I wanted I wanted the characters to be mine. <laughs> so, but each each one of them were based on friends. It was also kind of me reinforcing like, what friendship should look like um, and how people should treat each other because I absorbed what I had seen in like media and television growing up and I put that, in, put that into the characters and I put the best parts of my friends and I did have a couple of really really good friends um, growing up and I'm still friends with them now and I put them into those those characters too um, and it was just kind of like an alternative way of seeing my very small world that felt very cramped and very lonely at times. And it kind of made it brighter. Um, but now I'm kind of, I'm at a stage where I am re reconfiguring in my own brain um, how I write, why I write and and re, like kind of um, rediscovering my passion for it because I don't necessarily need that kind of safe, safe space anymore. I'm out of high school, I'm in college, and I have wonderful friends, and I figured out the issues that I had with those very early friends forever ago. Um, so now I'm, I'm starting to learn that I write um, because I love people, and people are fascinating. And I get to explore both myself, because I get to take bits and pieces of myself and put them into different characters, and see what new kind of person I can sprout from that. If I were to like isolate this one part of myself and plant it and water it and grow it and see what it becomes, what kind of character I can create out of that. And then I get to take aspects of people and or like patterns in people that I've been recognizing and putting them into a character and seeing what I can come up with. And it's kind of like a practice in empathy because you have to ask yourself why somebody is the way that they are. Um, and you can just create such rich 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 worlds with these people who aren't you know they're just they're on a paper they're, they're on paper they're not real but they feel real and that's that's it's really wonderful um so yeah so it started as like a way of just helping myself in tough situations as a kid and it's now become like um a love letter to people but also just figuring out why some people are the way that they are because people fall, do fall into patterns um even if they don't want to correct but it's yeah correct i've i've refined people into kind of three patterns red blue and gray neutral mm -hmm. uh that's being very uh um basic but anyway that's uh so we, we've got your, uh, you, you've done your creative writing and, and two other elements to you that began early, uh, uh, obviously, your the the music 
uh, element and your art element mm -hmm. to add to your so you've done music and you've done art and that's mm -hmm. all so that was all part of that picture of you growing up you you delved into to art and you've delved into music and I'll, I'll be showing some of your artwork uh, uh as i promote this um any comments quick about you know your art and, and the music um, um art has just always been art has been different from music which has been different from my writing they each are three different creative outlets where i just have i have a, a different way of sitting with it and focusing on it which has been cool writing frankly takes up the most of my energy um because especially when you're writing those very lengthy first drafts, um, you're creating on the spot, no matter how how well prepped you are for what you're, you know, if you have an outline of some kind, no matter how detailed it is, you're still you're still writing and creating on the spot. And it just takes, I feel like a different part of your brain. I think there's just more that's that has to work to produce that kind of thing than something like art or music, which feels more abstract. Um, and I'm more comfortable with those two things. So I end up actually producing more artwork and producing more music, um, than I do more writing, even though writing is first and foremost in my heart. Um, so if anything, I'm currently figuring out how to like, how to balance out those three aspects of myself and how I can, what I can do with each, each aspect of each of those aspects so from from writing what can i do with it with art what can i do with it and with music what can i do with it and how does it funnel back into me when i create things um yeah so they're they're each a part of me i'm making a circle do you feel uh with these three you know each one uh, of itself is is almost a career yeah and uh, do you think uh you're, you're not spreading yourself out too thin with these three uh things I mean um, you're young yeah I mean in, in a way I think I am but I also because I'm young I know more than any other time in my life now is is the best time for me to just push it and see what happens with it um I think there's a very irritating push by for, for young people to just figure out what they want to do now and it's not that I don't know what I want to do I know I want to write but I also know I want to do other things besides writing or or put my writing into other creative mediums that would include art and music um like screenwriting or playwriting um you know like i'm sh like if you put me in um like book illustration i would love that i could run with that for my whole life probably wow. if you put me in like i don't know creating a soundtrack if only i knew how to read music and i've tried a few different times and it just it hasn't quite clicked with me yet it's it's a whole thing onto itself because it, not just like being able to read music, but to write it on paper and sheet music, that's a whole different thing. And that includes a lot of music theory. Um, but, you know, if I if I had the skills and you put me on working on a soundtrack for a movie to score it, I'd probably run with that, too. Um, and I'm trying to figure out a balance that I think I've, I'll never quite achieve, but I'm, I'm going to aim for it anyways of... of uh, just exploring those different paths, seeing how I can combine them, seeing what they do for me, and just 
um, finding out how maybe I can make some sort of income <laughs> between each of them. But um, like I said, my heart's in writing first and foremost, because I think it's done the most for me. And I really, I think I still have yet to stretch myself and see what I can do with myself. Um, so that's, that's, that's my first focus. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, as a teacher of career explorations at Rutgers three years ago, um, one of the things I taught uh, every, every class, uh, uh, in every class that I taught, I, I would say the same thing again and again and again, that, uh, for you guys, you're going to have 17 jobs in five unique, distinct careers before you hang it up, statistically mm -hmm. speaking. Yeah. So uh, you're at a young point, you know, it's a journey. Yeah. You, uh, I mean, I look at myself, I've had five careers in the last 12 years, my unique, different careers. Mm -hmm. So, But anyway, um, just to take a deep breath and, and go um, off topic for a second, uh, I like this question. It's one of my favorite questions. Um, you don't even have to answer it. It's a one-word answer, or maybe two or three, whatever. Uh, so here it is. Uh, I like this question, and I'll tell you where I got it from uh, when we're done. So uh, here, here, here it goes, Olivia. Uh, excluding family or friends, somebody living or dead, you'd like to spend a day with. I mean, there could I be a like couple. There's, there's such excellent answers you can give. Of the first one that comes to mind. Just because I recently read something about, um, like, you know, a book came out about her recently, and I, and I don't know enough about her, probably like Eleanor Roosevelt, for example, had, she was, I think she was somewhat secretive about her life, and she was very likely bisexual, and that's a whole aspect of her life that has only been more recently recognized and accepted, um, and I, I would just be fascinated to hear her talk about her life, like just to get more insight into who she actually was. Um, because, you know, I feel like I don't know enough about her, even though she was just a very cool person. She was just a very cool woman. Um, yeah, it, 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 it might be her. And I'm sure if you asked me that tomorrow, I'd give you a completely sure. different answer. By the way, it's a great answer because in in uh during the throes of the pandemic i wanted to find ways to occupy this thing up here mm -hmm. and one of the things i i i love world war ii history mm. it's one of my favorite things so uh, uh i watched i ordered uh, and i own it but i watched an intimate history of the roosevelt's mm -hmm. uh starting with three times it's it's like it's six episodes it's hours and hours and hours and it was theodore franklin and eleanor mm -hmm. uh and i watched the whole thing uh with theodore frank but uh i i focused in the last two or three times i watched it i focused on franklin and eleanor and my takeaway from that and you were talking about 20 30 40 hours of viewing again and again and it, a lot of it gets absorbed, uh, uh, is she was one of the most remarkable persons to have ever lived. Yeah. Remarkable. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the loyalty, uh, and there's so many different 
uh, issues. And yes, there were there there were other issues with her personal life and, mm -hmm. and, and Franklin, but she kept Franklin together. Uh, in in later years, uh, you know, she lived in New York. Uh, some really interesting stuff. Uh, in her later years, the last 10, 12 years of her life, um, and she helped set up the UN, the charter. She helped write that. Mm -hmm. she threw the Russians out in one meeting. They got up and left because uh, they didn't like what she was saying. And she was on the committee to help put the UN together. Uh, just complete. And, and you know, her views on, on race Mm -hmm. and, and tolerance uh uh you know she she was a fact that uh, kept franklin in, in line uh uh she traveled during world war ii and 25,000 miles into the middle of the pacific mm -hmm. and, and generals were kind of ticked off that she was doing it but she was she was like every soldier's mother um, just a remarkable remarkable woman and in her last 10 years she she actually lived with her doctor and her doctor's wife, mm -hmm. uh, and and the three of them bought a brownstone in the city. Remarkable, um, just just a remarkable. So anyway, I I'm carrying on about it because I I love your answer. Thank you. Um, the other thing uh, before we go back to work, uh, the other thing uh, uh, is I want everybody to know that that Olivia joined us on a, a climate optimist group. Everything not fine. We we did a panel on some of the things that scared you the most about climate change and, and and it was refreshing for me to see a young gen z person jump into a panel and be concerned because it's your planet yeah and and i'm so glad you joined us so um uh back to work um i love this question because i've been dabbling so much lately in ai mm -hmm. uh but as a writer and a creative person uh uh, and I don't think any of us even have a clue what AI is going to, the roads that it's going to take us down. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about chat GBT? Um, well, it's interesting. For my current internship, I'm in, we actually use chat GBT as like a basis for things that we need to get done quickly and kind of like basic professional writing. So just, just sending out a, a simple email and you put in the couple of factors that you want the draft email to include. And then we look through it and edit it. Um, and that kind of thing where it, it's very simplistic and you use it as an aspect of the work that you do, I think that's fine. Uh, especially because like something like an email where it's up to every individual who's already employed to just pump out an email to ask your boss a question or something like that. You know, that that's perfectly fine. Uh, we already have had technologies that can do that for you. It just, ChatGPT kind of just feels like a second level of it. Um, but I think actually the thing that's that's even scarier when it comes to AI is, is artists and, um, and the fact that AI could completely replace artists. I mean, AI could probably replace anybody and everybody, which is the problem because you have to then ask the questions, all right, well, it's really powerful and it's not going to be powerful. It is powerful already and will just get more complex. Um, and I understand that there's like a kind of black box issue, I think it's what it's called, where you don't know where it actually obtained the information that it's giving you. And even the people who created the AI 
cannot figure out where it got its information from because it's just taking from whatever sources it's it's allowed to use it's being programmed to be using um and funneling it through into a new answer it's not actually new um so that's a that's a big issue and that's an issue for artists especially because art is abstract and it can make beautiful artwork it can make great artwork but um you know it's it's a bunch of like microscopic human hands on that artwork that's uh nobody's hand at the same time because it wasn't a hand that actually produced it it's a machine that took pieces of a bunch of different people's artistic um artistic skills and development and years and funneled it into something that looks great but it belongs to nobody and therefore in my mind i'm like if it belongs to nobody then why should anybody use it and maybe there's a good answer to that um you know i'm not an expert on ai um and I'm definitely not going to be the final say on what it should be used for. But I think the only thing that I ask for as just an average person who's going to live in a world with, a with AI, whether I like it or not, is just um, give, like, tell me who's going to regulate it, why they think those regulations should be put in place over other potential regulations. What is your reasoning? Um, and who keeps the regulators in check? You know, it is it's it is its own government issue. Um, where should the government regulate AI? Ooh, oh, it's. I, I, you know, it's it's a it's a question. I don't know if it's ever going to be answered now. Even though I think it's something that really needs an answer right now. Yeah. Um, and you know, considering the internet's already the wild west as it is, and that's not regulated, or if it is, it's it's by corporations who are privatized and allowed to just kind of do whatever they feel like doing. And at least in the U.S., we have. A, a Congress that's a much older population of, of people who probably are not using the internet at least as consistently or in the same ways as most people in the U.S., especially younger people like myself, where they probably hear about issues online, but maybe don't quite have firsthand experience with those issues um, just because that's not their world, and that's perfectly fine. But then it's like, well, then why should you be the one to regulate the internet, for example, and with AI being maybe the most internet-y thing <laughs> that's come out as of late, why should you be the one to regulate AI then? And then, but also why should privatized corporations be the regulators? It's just, it has, a, it's a whole new black hole of questions. Correct. It's beyond, it's beyond anything we can even grasp. Uh, it's funny, you're an artist. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I, I experimented with a couple of different AI things. Mm -hmm. And I went into one AI thing and, and said, I, I'm afraid. I have this great fear mm -hmm. of AI. So would you draw me some pictures to reflect mm -hmm. my fear mm -hmm. of AI? And this is what it drew me. Mm -hmm. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. Those are my pictures that it drew me because I asked it to create pictures for me showing my fear yeah. of AI. And, and one of them I actually is. used, this one up here, I've used it a few times. The others are a little gruesome. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I try to stay on top of for an old guy. Um, now, just getting into some lighter 
things, getting way heavy, heavy. Uh, I would love you to, to briefly chat about Mr. Gilgamesh, sir, your short story, which is on Amazon, and I'll have the link for everybody to see. Um, it's an interesting, interesting short story. I, I find your writing delightful. Thank you. Uh, uh, no, I do. Uh, and uh, uh, very uh, introspective. Thank you. Makes you think. So talk a little bit about the birth of Mr. Gilgamesh, sir. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Gilgamesh, sir, is uh, the product of me just sitting in my room uh, one day, um, maybe three years ago now. And I, I pumped it out in maybe two hours. And I was surprised at myself because I don't normally write fast. Um, I am not a fast write writer. Um, I kind of, I'm the type of author who edits as they go, um, which you can debate how good of a strategy that is. I, I personally am okay with it. It's just a matter of making sure that I don't get stuck in one place and I'm able to just move on. Um, because the whole point, especially of a first draft, is to just put something on the page. And even if it's crap, you can work with crap. It's something. Um, a blank page is not something. But um, yeah, I, I wrote it quickly um, because I kind of already had the scene in my mind as to what it looks like um, and what the conversation would entail. Uh, and it was just... I don't know, it was, it, was, it was just something that I found interesting. Um, immortality has always piqued my interest because I think it's a great concept that you can go in a lot of different directions with as an author or as, you know, someone who works in TV or something like that. And of course, it's, you know, it's not like my story is the most original version of it, but I just, when, I, when I'm able to visualize a scene in my head of some kind, even if it's stagnant, even if I don't know what the actual dialogue would be. And, you know, you can just abstractly understand what would be happening in your own mind. Um, that feels like that's kind of what my inspiration feels like in the moment where it's like I see it in my head. And now let me see if I can get it as close to what I feel it is onto paper as I can get it or with art. If I'm doing like my own piece, that's not, you know, that that's not just trying to like practice using reference or something like that. Um, yeah, so uh, just the idea of like, well, well, who would, who would be the one to just accept immortality if it was just handed to you? Because um, plenty of people would just accept it, but why? And and who like what kind of person might do that? And for what reason? And what if you didn't even need immortality? What if you had everything that you ever needed in your life? Why would why would you still take it anyways? Um, and my answer would be probably something to do with your ego. Like, most things are to do with your ego, for better or for worse. Um, but especially somebody who is just, who is used to being given things. Um, and used to taking. And never felt the need to produce anything else. You know, just, just people who will absorb whatever it is that is around them and presented that benefits them, they'll take it. Uh, and there's a lot of people in that in, in our world, I think, who are like that. And they're people who are used, who, who were never challenged, whose entitlement to these things were never challenged. Um, and I imagine 
even if it seems ridiculous to me, that there'd be plenty of people in the, on, on the planet who would just take it no questions asked because they're used to taking and they'll keep taking. Um, and, you know, it, it does feel good to write a character who is kind of slimy, kind of apathetic. He's not, you know, the character, he's not the worst person in the world exactly. There are far worse people than him. Right. But there's still a lot of him. We read a lot of his type in the news, for example. Um, if they ever get a, you know, karma to slap him in the face or something like that, you'll you'll read about them in the news every now and then, but generally they go unharmed, unscathed, and um their apathy and their um decided ignorance towards a lot of things that they could help with because they have the power to help with it um them just deciding to not do anything about the issues in this world because of their apathetic because they decide to be ignorant or just don't care and to see them finally get some kind of karma handed to them it feels good it definitely felt good to write <laughs> it was a good it, it, it was your an world ending to write. it's yeah. your world to create mm -hmm. the nice thing about it's the nice thing about writing I learned when I wrote my first novel. It's my world. Mm -hmm. I'm the boss. Yeah. I can do anything I want to do. It's yep. my world. It's a nice thing about writing. So, um, um, the la oh, next to the last uh, question mm -hmm. uh, to ask is uh, you spent second semester in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about your experiences in Ireland. Um, I, Is that your first time abroad? Um, well, I had been, I'm lucky enough that my parents have always loved traveling. And so once I became of age for them to just take and sweep off my feet and go somewhere when, you know, we'd, we'd be like, all right, got the money down. We're good. We have the time. Let's go. Um, you know, they'd take me. So I've, I've been really, I've been privileged, I've been very lucky to be able to go to Europe a few different times. Um, I've been, but I, I'd never gone to Ireland, and I'd never done a study abroad anywhere. So this was the longest time I've been fully away from home. Right, right. Um, which it felt, it felt very empowering to be able to be away from my parents completely. You know, because at Rutgers, I'm, I don't live too far from Rutgers, and I'm to the point where I can commute. So I'm lucky that I can take the train home on the weekends. Um, yeah. But that's just, it's not the case, because you're across an ocean. Uh, yeah. Um, so it, it was empowering to just see all of the skills I've built, be, like slowly becoming an adult, um, you know, all, all come together and just being able to support myself and live on my own and not like live in a dumpster like a lot of people of my age are expected to live um, when we're just trying to figure out how to be on our own and with our own experiences, um, how to handle money to an extent, um, you know, even just little things like making plans to go out with people when you don't have like parents to take you or you don't, you know, um, you don't have a car because it's strongly recommended you do not drive on your own because the streets are switched and the, uh, the driving, the, the, the driving seat is switched. So Rutgers was like, please do not drive yourself. There is a great public transport system 
use that. So I just use the bus all the time. Um, so just no longer having that safety net under me and still being able to just not just live life, but to enjoy it. And of course, there's still support under you. I'm still doing it under a school. I still have my parents' money that I'm using mainly. Um, you know, it's not to say that they're all gone, but just to have that separation and the distance, it was it was great. Um, and the great thing about at least much of Europe, um, I'm sure not every single country has the best public transportation, but generally they have great public transportation, at least in comparison to the United States from my understanding, and from my experience in Ireland, that is confirmed. <laughs> um, they had a great bus system. Uh, excuse my dog barking in the background, <laughs> if you can hear it. Um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great public transportation. Um, I came at a time when there was a lot of inflation going on with, with food and groceries. So that was interesting because suddenly I was a lot more impacted by it because I was the one purchasing my own food because I lived in an apartment setting and I didn't have like a, they didn't, I didn't participate in like a, any sort of dining hall system, dining system. Um, going to um, UCD University College of Dublin. Um, and on top of all of that, it's just a slightly different system for college itself and for the classes that I adored. They're much looser. I realized how very business minded and intensive um, American universities are. But, uh, well, at least my, you know, uh, UCD, um, which I, I imagine can be somewhat generalized to other universities. But UCD, at least when it came to liberal arts, which is what I'm in as an English major, was more than happy to just trust us to do what we needed to do to get the degree. Um, there, were, uh, there were looser demands of the literal grading in itself. Um, you know, professors were like, just hand this in get it in. That's what you need to do. But you'll find plenty of professors like that in the United States. But it's just more of the consistent idea. It's like, as long as you get this in, you'll be fine. You get it in, you do the work, we can talk about your grades. We can, and they also incorporate a lot more of like, just how much you show up to class in your grades, they'll boost your grade for that, you know, like they, they take a lot more of you into account. And that's especially if it's like a tutorial setting or if you are in a classroom with a small group of people as an extension of the mm -hmm. bigger class, which I really like. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a looser setting, but looser and not in the negative way, but looser okay. in actually a very positive way. So I, I really enjoyed that. And I'm actually now really considering if I do grad school, I'll maybe go to either Ireland or maybe England. Okay. Um, you know, where I don't necessarily need a, a, a second language to get around because unfortunately languages have never been my strong suit. Um, I wish they were, that'd, that'd be wonderful. Um, but yes, I, that's, it's Great. it's really opened my experiences living. Wonderful. It's, it's wonderful. Last question. One of my favorite questions also. Uh, um, it's not, uh, it's a simple question. Um, last question. Uh, what are some of your favorite movies and actors? Um, I like this question. Yeah. Um, I do. I do. Yeah. I, well, there's a couple different answers for the movies. Uh, if I had to choose like a standalone movie, it'd probably be like Howl's Moving Castle by Studio Ghibli. 
I love animation and it's just a gorgeous film to look at, um, which is such a simple thing, but it's such a wonderful thing. And Studio Ghibli is known for just how beautifully and intricately done the animation is and it's worked on. Um, and I like that the characters, it, it's based on a novel and I actually read the novel and it's a good novel. And of course the novel has the space to explore the characters more. Um, but it's interesting how crunching that novel into a movie makes the movie feel all the more artistic and abstract. Um, and I think something that I've seen people have an issue with the movie is that it's too, like, the, the plot is very loosely strung together. But I don't really mind that for myself. Um, like, I don't think every single film needs... A very clear specific plot and I've rewatched that movie plenty of times and I've also read the book so I know what the plot is meant to be in the background but I also grew up just with the movie and um, because my dad got me the movie when I was like 10 or 11 because he thought hey she might like this this seems like a nice movie <laughs> um, and I've watched it a ton since so even when I was younger I just remember loving just the the feelings behind it um, and Ghibli Ghibli's movies always have, like, just the lightest sense of melancholy and weight mm -hmm. that balances out just the, the color and, the, and, and, and how um, wonderful it is to look at. And Howl's Moving Castle, I think, continues that, that aspect of, of a lot of Ghibli films, where there's always a little touch of sadness to it, but it's a beautiful sadness, and you're not uncomfortable with it. Which I also think people don't always think about sadness or consider sadness. It doesn't always have to be uncomfortable. You can decide to make it beautiful or to sit with it like and that. to contemplate it and to almost like pet it and, and think about it. I like that. Yeah, and it's it's really wonderful. Um, and it's just it's just a part of the feeling of the film, and I love it. Um, yeah, and and of course the visuals are gorgeous. And Howell's a very lovely looking character. <laughs> Okay. You know he's. he's right. I like that. Christian Bale, so he has a great. He has a great voice too. So. I like that description. Great. The sadness thing. Well, <laughs> uh, we did our thing. We've been planning this for a long time. Uh, the nice thing is, where you're going to come back whenever you want to come back. We're going to be zooming and mentoring and yep. discussing literature and uh journeys uh, uh uh i think stacy did great putting us together because yeah. um Thank by you. the way re refresh my memory what year are you graduating um i am 2025 2025 okay just so i know so anyway uh i'm gonna sign off don't leave but i'm thanking you so much olivia uh but it's great knowing you and and, and doing our little mentoring mentoring thing yeah thank you so uh, much you've been such a huge help for me you know it's I've, I've taken any help you can get and you've you've stuck with me and i really really appreciate thank it. thank you and to be continued and and yes. this to be continued so be well stay there i'm gonna stop recording uh this was great truly thank you thank, thank, you. thank you so much for having me